I'm Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance, and this is Commerce Code, a bi-weekly digital commerce podcast for leaders in card linking, loyalty and digital marketing, mobile wallets and payments, and financial data. Thanks for joining this running conversation with leaders in the industry. And if you like this podcast, come join us at a Digital Commerce Alliance event. You can learn more at www.digcomall.org. This week, I'm talking with Mark Lesu and Jared Anderson from Olive. Mark is Olive's chief commercial officer, and Jared is Olive's head of partnerships. Their company is an all-in-one embedded finance platform that powers instant rounding, matching, and rewards by allowing consumers to enroll any card they have for those rewards. Olive's thesis is that enabling that kind of open enrollment helps fundraisers, money managers, loyalty programs, and others to drive customer engagement. So that's what I'm talking about with Mark and Jared today. So stay tuned for How Open Enrollment is Changing Consumer Engagement, a Commerce Code conversation with Mark Lesu and Jared Anderson of Olive. Commerce Code is sponsored by Pentadata, the all-in-one financial data API. Whether it is bank account data, credit card transaction data, or credit reports and credit scores, Pentadata has it all in one simple and easy-to-use API. With coverage of over 6,000 banks, over 200 million credit files, and 60 million merchants, you can get all the data you need for your apps at pentadatainc.com. Mark and Jared, thank you so much for joining us on Commerce Code. Where are you guys joining us from? Hi, Dan. It's uh, great to be here. I'm joining you from just outside Toronto, and uh, my colleague Jared is uh, joining you from the Ottawa area. Great. All right. Well, look, we're glad to have you here as experts in this space. And of course, as we've said, we're talking about um, open enrollment and then some of the continuing kind of impacts and issues related to that. So let's, I just want to start by defining open enrollment and maybe kind of give us a current example and then kind of a point of comparison on that. Sure. Well, open enrollment is applies to card link services are really the ability to link any card you have in your wallet to a program, a suite of benefits, some sort of program that resides on that card, which is different than a lot of programs that were that you've seen in the past and over time where you had to carry a certain card from a certain issuer to access that suite of benefits. So it really opens up the world of, of, of accessibility for people trying to, to add something or a benefit to a card that's out in the world. And I have the sense that that's getting more common these days. Am I right about that? Yeah, I think it certainly is. I think there's a, been a void in the marketplace. The technology allowed for what it allowed for. And now it's come forward enough that you can get to anyone with a message and a, and a call to action to allow them to enroll in something that's very personal to them. So I think you will continue to see more of that for sure. Yeah, and you mentioned technology there. And for the person like me, who isn't deep in the weeds on the tech, like what, what are the key technological changes that have made this possible now? Yeah, I think you, many people have experienced this over time. For a long time, to be able to actually connect someone's credit card to any form of benefits program or any program delivery, there was a, a step in the middle where you had to attach your bank account. And that's a difficult thing to do. People are reticent to do that. There was limitations on the real-time ability to communicate because you're always kind of looking back in history towards statements that have happened to, to be able to understand what did happen. Now, because we are able to have direct API connections to schemas like a Visa and a MasterCard, we can get all that data in real time and it allows us to enroll in real time, communicate in real time and deliver programs right out of the box without having to have additional steps or added friction. 
I've often thought that the average person probably wouldn't be surprised at how complicated the payments and banking technology is, but they might be surprised at how many things weren't possible in the past or or just more difficult than you think. And it sounds like this is one of those things where it, it might be a little bit harder than you think, but it's getting a lot easier. 100%. So I think your, your guys' angle at Olive is that open enrollment is something that can really increase engagement. And so I just wanted to touch on like, what's a main scenario or an example where that you know, open enrollment really increases customer engagement? Well, I guess from the first, the beginning of it is it doesn't require someone to have a certain payment form or carry a certain term. So from a marketing perspective, you can offer out to your entire membership group, your entire consumer base, your entire donor base, some sort of benefit or program you'd like them to enroll in. And it's totally card agnostic. You're not asking them to change their phone payment. You're asking them to pull out a card they already have in their wallet and take the first step to enroll it from that point. So that, that's a really fundamental change. It allows programs to be more pervasive. As I said a minute ago, it really was a void where you, you had to do the hardest thing there is to do, which is convince people to change their, their form of payment. Yeah. And I mean, that, I think and we're going to get to, to this in a second, I think, or I want to turn to kind of friction, we can call it, or, or challenge or difficulty. But it seems like what you're describing is just from the consumer perspective. And again, it might be that the back end is, is still challenging and complicated, but from the consumer perspective, it's easy and easy sort of works as a general matter. But the, I wanted to touch the other side though too. So, you know, as, as we've said, open enrollment becoming more common in part because it's more possible, but there are scenarios where, you know, organizations choose to stick with the old way, which is not open enrollment. And I'm curious, like, what's the kind of typical scenario there or what's the the outline of like when that decision gets made or, or why? You know, interestingly, for sure, there's still issuers or, or card providers out there who would want to turn on services or programs on the cards they provide, which makes total sense. A lot of times they, they do that and are able to do that. There are times which it seems uh, hard to understand, but there are times where even banks can't do that for themselves. And that really comes down to the, the fact that banks aren't fintechs, and nor do they want to be. So there, there, there's some place where a, a fintech can provide a service that allows the connection of their own data to outcomes they're, they're trying to drive. So beyond just the how do you enroll someone, you can be far more creative in programs now than you could in the past as to what are you enrolling them in. So I think that that's also a big step forward. Interesting, right? So we, I, I mentioned kind of friction. And I wonder if we can talk a little bit about the problems or the challenges that the customer engagement programs have really faced over time. And so we've been talking about friction in different ways uh, at DCA this year. And so maybe I'll just start here, which is, you know, when you think about friction at, from Olive's perspective, what do you sort of mean by that? And then what are the sort of forces or factors that, that drive friction that you think that can be dealt with? Yeah, you know, friction is anything that gets in the way of the ease of something happening and certainly is in this space. So it starts right at the beginning is if there's a call to action that an organization wants to put out, how easy is it for their user, their audience to respond to that call to action? So right, the first step is well, how do you get a card enrolled? So the simplicity of that right now is no different than making an e-commerce transaction. Where in the past, you had to get banking details and a bunch of things that might have been difficult or, or you were reluctant to do. This is the kind of thing like you're ordering from Amazon. It's as simple as that. And so there's a, there's a decrease in friction right up front. But friction for us really carries through way beyond that into communication friction and relevancy friction. In the space of rewards and loyalty, which often runs on card link services, 
that forever and ever there was this whole push strategy to push out all kinds of things that may be relevant to you, whether it be offers or communications. And there's a ton of wastage in that. It's not personalized. It gets easy to ignore. So I think the communication friction is really right now, you can craft programs that are designed to be personalized to the person that's enrolling them. Well, the cause that's important to them, whether that's charitable giving, their own financial well-being, saving for their next uh, travel vacation, that makes it a huge difference on reducing friction because it's not someone telling you what's important to you. It's you self-identifying what's important to you and then having a mechanism to, to better yourself in that pursuit. It feels like there's still a long way to go in that business of sort of tailoring. And even when it's as simple as self-tailoring, I mean, I was, I was in a news app again today trying to narrow the universe of stuff it was showing me, you know, and kind of realizing that, you know, even when the consumer is is making the choices themselves, like there's just forces and, and probably logistics and stuff that that run the other way, you know, and you end up still feeling like you're kind of on information overload. And so I guess I'm, I'm feeling the, uh, the communication friction pretty well. And, and, and maybe just also the difficulty of getting good tailoring. And then, you know, in this industry, a lot of times we're trying to tailor messages without necessarily a direct input of a consumer. Although maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking about that wrong. Like from your guys' perspective, how do you, how do you think about what's the best way to tailor and create relevancy to the individual? Yeah, the tailoring is 100% a key factor that's pushing behind it, but there's a timeliness part of it as well. So by getting transactions in real time, you can communicate in real time. And that, that's the first step to relevancy. I, I might have a great message that really matters to you, but it matters to you more when you're thinking about it than it does three hours later. And so that's what I think is a dramatic improvement and something we really focus on. The mirror that with Having a goal that's personalized to you and you're, you're well down the road on making something easy for some, someone to do and easy for them to stay part of. So relevancy starts there. And then relevancy also, spending history and those kinds of things provide real data that can help you surface offers or whatever the case may be that are relevant to you, that are proven to be something that you have some sort of interest in. Those, those are key factors in, in trying to make the messaging mean something to you and not be bothersome. If it's bothersome, people opt out. So we, we've been able to see with programs we're delivering right now an over 95% retention and for cards that are enrolled. So we feel that we're definitely making a difference in facilitating programs that people want to continue to be a part of. So, you know, and you mentioned programs, and I think it's easiest for, for everyone, and again, me, to wrap their heads around just specific examples of programs. I'd love to get a sense of what are the kinds of programs that you've seen be successful and so, you know, either Mark or Jared, I know maybe both of you guys have probably got some thoughts on what are some examples of, of open enrollment driven programs that are really working right now? I'll jump in on one here that I know um, was kind of one of our initial early adopter ones. It was a group that ran a fundraising for a, you know, a small area of Toronto. Uh, we're talking about a community of about 10,000 people. And over the course of December, as part of a toy drive, they were able to raise over $10,000 towards, you know, new toys for children in need. Um, and they did that by using the kind of card linked offers and engaging uh, merchants not only to commit to those kind of cashback rewards or card linked offers, but also because they knew that the money was going right to the cause, the merchants were actually more open to giving bigger rewards and payouts. Um, and they paired that up with non-traditional card linked offer providers or reward providers 
in that they had a number of the community members, you know, brands that normally would not have a retail presence. Think of real estate agents and, you know, basically car dealerships and what have you get in on the action by matching those rewards um, at the time of transaction in real time. And with the open enrollment, it really made it accessible to everyone in the community. It wasn't an issuer-backed program per se, but it was like, you know, any Visa, any MasterCard in your wallet, um, you could participate. And so from the small community, they were able to have a really big impact um, with that kind of open enrolled program. So it kind of deals with the problem of fragmentation, it seems to me, right? When you're looking at, you know, because to, to say another way, like the toys initiative, to take that example further, another way of saying it is, if you didn't have open enrollment, there wouldn't have been enough. I mean, you would have had to have tried to run that out of a single platform and in all likelihood, and perhaps especially because the community was small, although honestly it might be true anyway, in all likelihood that just wouldn't have had enough presence. And so therefore it just wouldn't happen at all. Exactly. And it's interesting, Dan, when you said in RC, there's ways we can help all kinds of use cases in all kinds of industries, whether it's consumer bases, member bases, donor bases, employee bases. The key is being able to do that well. And for us, we really narrow ourselves to several use cases that we're making a difference in immediately. That's, that's charitable giving. I think we touched on that. And Mark's example is, is, a, is a good example of that. But really, because it's important to us that we're attaching to someone's goals that are personal, another big category for us is anything financial well-being. It's the idea of taking that, that piggy bank full of pennies that you used to have and digitizing that so you can round and, and have cash back contribute to your own financial well-being and the investments you'd like to buy at the end of the year. That example is, is very much a place where we've, we've seen differences made, as is membership models, where you know member models are... Traditionally, I was looking to acquire new members, do a better job of retaining their members through engagement, win-back strategies, all the different things you see. Having a suite of benefits that are really easy to access and that become personal to that member and what's important to them really changes the paradigm of engagement. It's interesting, you know, part of the, and you mentioned early on, and I want to connect the dots here because I'm, I'm not sure I, I fully get it, you know, inflecting like how people pay is one piece. And because the other piece I would think is true, but you guys would actually know, if it's open enrollment, you can use anything in your wallet. Do you be, Is the behavior that you see that people tend to stick with whatever their primary form of payment was before? Or is there some way in which that is influenced or can be influenced by, by enrolling in a program? Yeah, it's super interesting. I think the biggest statistics we have that would support that line of thinking is we have programs out in market that are rounding programs towards a cause. So the idea is you enroll, as you said, any card in your wallet to a program where you're rounding every transaction you make to some cause. It could be your financial well-being. It could be an actual cause, charitable giving. What we've seen is outside of the stickiness of the cards, the amount that's rounded every month has been increasing month over month over time, which suggests it's influencing the behavior of what form of payment you're using. You're probably not spending more money, but you're spending more money on that form of payment than you might have because there's a reason to. That's interesting. I mean, you, you're, you're right. And it keeps it you know, top of mind, right? So it just there's an awareness that comes along with that. So another, another thing that I wonder about on the, and just we keep using the charitable example, I think there's a lot of different examples, but it probably creates a bit of an, an occasion or an opportunity for the nonprofits or the charities to, to dig in and message with their constituency differently and maybe more like with more of an, a call to action than normal. You know, it's not just purely a, it's a different kind of thing than, hey, write your annual check to support us. It's here's the thing you can do every day. 
Yeah, no question for charitable giving that the kind of the holy grail is that monthly annuity rather than your one-time donation every year, which is very expensive to chase down. So if you can enroll someone in a program that gives ongoing every month and it doesn't really interrupt their lifestyle, it, it's rounding the spare change, so to speak, and, and receiving cash back that's funded by merchants. There's really no reason to leave. And so that one call to action that gets you to a role in the first place has a huge lifetime value for charities. I mean, outside charitable giving space, that's true in other places as well. But certainly it, it's super congruent in charitable giving with what they care about most, which is that monthly donor. Yeah, I, I'd be interested to get your perspective if you've got it on maybe some other areas as well, right? So we've got a lot of folks in retail, merchants and, and such that listen to this. There's other areas where we've seen this also play out, whether it's money management or whatever, this different different places. You've kind of mentioned the the rounding that might go into like a retirement account. But I'd be interested maybe from the, the merchant or retail perspective, you know, how do you, what's the sort of strategic piece of this for them and who, who stands to gain the most? Yeah, on the retail side, there's probably several facets, but one is just the ability to deliver card-linked offers that drive things that are important in retail. An example would be a certain retail sector has an average spend of $35. It would be great for them if their customers spend $50 on their next visit. So they can incentivize that with an offer that's designed to do that. There's a cash back you receive if you spend $50 or more. Similarly, you know, it's the coffee shop example. I, I would love to, you to come to my coffee shop two or three times a week because it's habitual behavior. And I know if you do that, you're going to do a lot more of that. So we can design offers on the retail side that really encourage that. There's some sort of benefit of cashback once you come a certain number of times. Another example that's pretty unique to what Olive does is the, the cumulative spend idea. So you're a, you're a big home improvements provider you would love someone to spend $250 a month in your location. To you, it's not that important whether they come five times at $50 or they come once at $250. This technology allows you to do that. That's the kind of offer that you, you wouldn't have been, been able to do. There was just no way to do it. And there's more to come. There, there's uh, the next generation of card-linked offers you will include what we would refer to as SKU offers. But really what that is, is it's a way to, to allow you to give offers and, and cash back on specific products or product categories when you're in a retailer. So the grocery would be a great example. You may be able to give a great discount on your private label opportunities and cash back on your private label products, but you just can't do it on eggs and milk and, and bread because there's no margin to do that. From the retail side, I think there's just tons and tons of upside and there'll continue to be more of how do you drive the things that are important to those retailers that are age-old problems that are, they've been around forever but there's now better answers the skew level offer is definitely a holy grail of sorts in this area right now people are are quite eager to get to that for a whole host of reasons some of which you've just uh, articulated and i'm, I'm curious with it without maybe getting into too much detail what's the what's the tech hurdle that needs to get cleared in order to make that viable? I guess in its simplest terms, there's just a lot of intermediaries involved. It's not as simple as it, on your, your credit card does not give you that level of detail. It just shows you what the transaction is. And there's all kinds of intermediaries in a, in a payment process. So there, there has to be a way to connect some of the dots on that, which now exists. We are, when I say we're not far off, it, it will be by the end of the year. That's terrific. I think that'll 
solve problems for a lot of folks. Well, look, I, I want to ask a simple question that's hard to answer. And so therefore, I'll give you a, a half second to think about it. And, and to either of you, what's the, the vision, I guess, where do you think, or maybe where do you hope this all is in this space in, you know, let's say three to five years, if it's possible to either change is so fast, right? That three years is a lot of time, five years is a huge amount. But where do you think this, this world is in, in that frame of time? What do you think is going to be most importantly different and maybe like from the consumer's perspective, right? What are we going to experience that's different? Well, I think the consumer is going to benefit the most because now that there's the ability to connect the consumer, their spending habits to goals that are personal to them, there's the whole world of creativity of how do you continue to provide benefits that are they're frictionless on someone's card that they already have that are outside of the our traditional thinking that's been offers-based or rounding-based or whatever it is. There will be I would suggest five or 10 great more things to come. That's why I believe the consumer benefits the most. It will be incumbent on those trying to impress their consumer or, or motivate their consumer or their member or their donor to continue to find things that are meaningful to them and then be able to deliver them digitally through a card that's already linked. It's really exciting for where it can go. And Dan, I'll, um, I'll provide some uh, more color commentary to that. We have an example that we're, we're working on with a few um, clients, and I'll just I'll pick one of the, the verticals, which is travel. Um, you can imagine this scenario uh, maybe in you know, two years or so where you know, a consumer is looking to go on that kind of dream trip of a lifetime, and around them, the tour operator is providing access to rewards that will exactly be useful to that trip, whether it's, you know, backpacks from a mountain equipment co-op, or maybe it's, you know, rain gear for their iPhone. So when they're traveling on their tour, it's not going to get done. And all those things are driving rewards to help them fund that exact experience that they're striving to uh, save for, you know, as they're rounding up each month towards that goal. So, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity to create real unique and powerful customer experiences that will further deepen the relationship between those brands and those consumers um, using technology like this. That's a great view to where things are headed for the consumer. One one last one for me is, I, I wonder if you'd agree that the opportunities that are created here feel like from a kind of a, a merchant or a, com- a competitive perspective, they do remove barriers to entry and they, they I don't know, want to say level the playing field, but they certainly make it more accessible for a smaller, you know, if I got a chain of five coffee shops, I'm not second cup for Starbucks or whatever, that this, I think, makes it more possible for me to carry out programs that are a little more sophisticated than what I could have done before. That's fair, isn't it? Yeah, I think there's no question on that. It uh, makes the world more accessible. It kind of flies on pervasive trends in the world, whether it's open banking, open finance, all those things that allow, make it easier to access things that used to exist in certain specific domains. It's it's really got a lot of tailwind as to, to on much greater, greater factors that are pushing it from behind. And Dan, I'll give you an example there. Just this past month, we um, had a partner launch a program to raise money for one of the local hospitals, and they onboarded 35 local merchants, you know, all merchants who have a single storefront presence. They onboarded 35 of them within like 15 days, and they're all offering cash back towards that, you know, hospital's fundraising goals. So yeah, absolutely, it's becoming more accessible to them. Very good. Well, look, this is all what I would think of as sort of very productive uh, innovation 
And it's kind of a, uh, I don't know if it quite qualifies as a general purpose technology. Well, I think it does actually, right? All of this is, and uh, will in- inevitably get used, I will conjecture in ways that we haven't figured out yet. Oftentimes, right, the most productive uses for something are things that, you know, we wouldn't, wouldn't even think of on the front end. And so it's exciting to see where all of these things can can go. And grateful that Olive is pushing it forward. You guys are kind of on the forefront of making some of this stuff happen. And so it's great to see that happening in the marketplace. So Jared and Mark, thank you both for joining us today on Commerce Code. Thanks, Thanks so much, Dan. Enjoyed being here. Commerce Code is brought to you in part by Vantage Score. Nine of the top 10 banks and over 3,000 leading banks and fintechs use Vantage Score to predict and manage repayment risk. Learn more about the latest advances in credit scoring and how to grow your lending business by leveraging financial inclusion at VantageScore.com. Commerce Code is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you conversations with executives who are leading the way in digital commerce. If you like Commerce Code, your company should join the Digital Commerce Alliance and become part of our mission of advancing trade for good through standard setting, industry networking, conferences, and best practice sharing. Check out our website at www.digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great week. <laughs>